media is, is a, is a very difficult business in the sense that it's not like you produce this technology platform. And once you, once you code it, like, I mean, obviously you have to push updates and stuff like that, but once you code it, it's kind of done. And this is like every single day you have to create content and every single day you have to have something in the inbox and every single day you have to have something on social and there's just no, there's no real breaks. Uh, so it's an interesting business. Welcome to Future Driven. I'm Adam Lejenkop, and on this podcast, we talk about challenges and wins in business. See the vision, drive the future. All right, so welcome to uh, Future Driven episode number 43 with Adam White of Front Office Sports. Adam, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Yeah, the other Adam. I uh, really appreciate it. It's the Adam and Adam show today. That's right. Well, look, hey, uh, I was just telling you off camera, but I'll tell you again, I'm a big fan of uh, the content that you guys put out there and the the value and the frequency and everything. And we want to hear a little bit about front office sports, but tell us a little bit about your background, how this all started, you know, where did, where did this originate from and so forth? Yeah, it really started as a passion project in, uh, in college. So I was at the University of Miami and I was after my freshman year during the kind of second semester of my freshman year. So before that, before the summer, I had a class and one of the things that we did was a class project and that class project was basically an informational interview similar to essentially what we're doing here and what we did is we had to interview someone who worked in sports and our professors at the time told us you know it's not about what you know it's about who you know and you know I would debate that I think it's a lot about what you know and it's also a lot about who you know like you have to have a good balance of both and so I think overall it was, it was a good experience. And then what happened was I interviewed the athletic director at Miami. And then I went home to Arizona where, you know, I'm born and raised and I was back for the summer and trying to get a couple jobs, work at restaurants, all this stuff. And it didn't end up happening because I was only back for a couple months. So I was like, well, what can I do in the, in Arizona while I'm playing baseball in the evening, working out in the morning. And it's like 115 degrees in the afternoon during the summer as someone who didn't have a pool at the time, I was like, well, there's gotta be something indoors in the AC that I can do. And so I basically was like, well, what, if it really is about who, you know, and not what, you know, then there's an opportunity here for me to do a bunch of these informational interviews and meet a bunch of people. And so by the time I graduate in three years, the whole idea was that I wouldn't have to provide my resume to anyone outside of just, you know, they knew who I was and I would hopefully be top of mind and I would be able to apply for the jobs and go from there. And so, yeah, that's what it, that's what it was. And it's, uh, that's how it all started. I did 110 informational interviews in the first year, publishing them left and right, started to build a presence on Twitter. Originally the brand name was supposed to be executive report, but thank God it wasn't uh, because front office sports is actually a really good name uh, and has, and has worked very well for us. And so, yeah, I mean, overall it's been, it's been really positive. And so that was, you know, the first year of 2014 and went back to school and started doing all of this stuff and started to write news content and then the newsletter. And I graduated in 2017 and I thought I had a job at a league slash governing body and ended up not working out. So I was like, well, I might as well just work on the site. I have something here, you know, and people know me by it. So the first year out of college, I, you know, worked as a 
bartender slash server at a restaurant. I worked as a TA at the university and then I worked on the business at night. So I was doing the whole entrepreneurial thing and, you know, ended up meeting by a stroke of luck slash timing. I ended up meeting a guy by the name of Jason Stein, who was the founder and CEO of Laundry Service and Cycle. It was a full service agency that he had sold to Wasserman. And, you know, we struck up a relationship and him and I started talking and I laid out the vision and he said, well, I should, you know, we should invest. And I was like, okay, like definitely let's do it. And so they invested in us at the end of 2018 after he left uh, Wasserman at the end of his earnout. And, you know, it was, it was great. We had the ability to, to then really start to launch the business to where it is today. And so, you know, it's so funny. It's been around since 2014, but realistically the business has only been fully functioning as a business since 2019. And so, it's been a crazy three and a half years, if you think about it, right? Like first year of a startup with funding as a 23-year-old in New York, you're just trying to figure shit out and make sure you don't run out of money. And luckily that didn't happen. Uh, and then we go into the next year and the pandemic happens. And, you know, the business has put, you know, you know, we grew 20% or something like that year over year when we thought we were going to grow 150%. And yeah. yeah, we were just survival mode in 2020. And I would always joke with Russ that I was like, I'm just not sure if this is going to work. And, you know, I said, if anything freaking kills this business, a damn global pandemic, you know, we couldn't do anything. We, we did all that we could to, to survive. And so uh, luckily we were able to pivot and, and get through it, which was great. 2021 came along and, you know, still pandemic. And, you know, we're able to navigate through that and grow the business about 4X year over year. And now it's, you know, I hopefully we'll get to grow the business another two or three times year over year this year uh, if we do our job right. And uh, we'll be in a really good spot to take on, uh, you know, take on next year. But yeah, I mean, look, like essentially we're going to be four years into the business and hopefully we'll be, you know, go from zero to eight figures in revenue in four years. And yeah, it's pretty darn good, all things considered. So I, I'm really excited about the future, but that's a, a little bit of the past. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate you breaking that down. And it sounds like it was a passion project that then led into something that was real and, and you know, you organically built it and grew it. So you were doing that all through college. And um, so you had built a significant or a, a, a good size following, if you will, while in your collegiate years. So then heading into that first year, you kind of had a base, right? Enough of a following, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't massive by any stretch, to be yeah. honest with you. It was, uh, it was the issue, the, the best part about it. And I always tell people this is that we would have never succeeded to the level that we have succeeded if we would have had money day one, because we wouldn't have known what people wanted. The reason why we have been able to succeed is because of the fact that those 110, 200, 300 informational interviews that I had done by the time I was done and graduating basically was market research. I asked everyone, what do you want? What else do you want to see? What's missing? What's this? What's that? What's this? What's that? What's this? What's that? This, 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 and that. And, uh, you know, they provided all of the feedback. And so rising 25, the award we launched, I knew, you know, it would take a, a bit to catch on and, and be successful, but I knew that it would because, 90% of people said there needs to be more awards for young people. And I was like, all right, cool. So yeah, that was, that was a beautiful part about it. And is what has made the impact a little bit bigger than probably it would have been if we would have just raised money right away, because we just didn't know anything, you know, like I, honestly, I think the business would have failed if we didn't spend the first three or four years doing what we did. And luckily I was in college and 
could work on the business while I was working at the restaurant I was working at during college and working in, in class and playing club baseball and all of these things. So luckily I was able to do that, but yeah, I mean, overall it was, uh, it was definitely a blessing in disguise that the idea happened to come at that point and in college when you could take a bunch of risks and it didn't matter uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we could yeah. tr- try a bunch of things. Well, I think I came across you guys in 2020, probably in the pandemic and yep. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of date myself a little bit because I was, I was first came on when you had black and white photos with the, uh, the, the Tina. Yeah. 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 Kind of look. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. It was really interesting. And then one day that just changed and know there's a strategy and a reason for that. And I, and I, and I agree with the approach, but I'll, you know, for about a week there, I was like, oh man, I, I kind of wish they would have stayed. So tell me a little bit about that. That was the original intention to grab attention. And then you just kind of grew and you need to stay more real. Yeah. I mean, realistically, it was just all about professionalizing the content, right? You know, it just looked, and it's also a time suck, you know, like all we have great high quality images that we pay for. Why are we then putting like a weird filtering on top of them or coloring on top of them? Um, So yeah, I mean, again, we've tried so many different things, but I think we finally settled on a lot of, I mean, that's that's what you have to do though. The first three or four years of a startup is you have to find ways to see what sticks, what doesn't. And, and we've done all of that. And we're right now in the position, in the process of redesigning our website to really fit what we are going to be going forward and should be out. You know, we'll, we'll launch that the week after the 4th of July. So the second half of the year, and, you know, we finally put all the pieces in place over the course of the first half of the year to be successful in the back half of the year this year, and then obviously into 23 and beyond. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been good. I mean, overall been really, really good. So I think it's, it, it, it was just about really professionalizing the look and the feel of the site and making sure when people landed on it, they're like, okay, this feels legit because every other major news site outside of some magazine features and like a few elements in which they're editing or providing custom illustrations most of them are using extremely high quality photos. And to me, I was like, well, if we want to be a real news organization, we shouldn't be using black and white. And it's just, it just takes away the life and like, it looks cool. And like, I really liked them, but it just took away the life of what we were, what we were doing and what we could do in terms of imagery and how it pops and how it looks. And, you know, you get all of this stuff and then everything's black and white. And it's kind of just like, a downer. And so it was a lot, a lot that went into it for sure. Well, and you mentioned you got to run that through a creative cycle and it just adds uh, layers. That yeah, you totally. Just- it was just hours upon hours of creative work for yeah what game, you know, realistically nothing. And so that's again, one of the things that we've learned is that simple is oftentimes much better than, uh, than not, you know, than trying to overwork or overdo something. So uh, you got a few things going on with, uh, you know, sponsored content. You got your, you're building your email bit database. You're, um, you're putting out, uh, um, what am I missing? You're putting out content now for uh, educational content. Um, what other aspects of the business are you guys building a lot of your, uh, you know, kind of attention around? I mean, newsletter is obviously first and foremost, as, as you mentioned, 
site is a big uh, priority too. Uh, I think if you're going to be a news organization specifically as ours, as we think about multi-platform, that's been a big property. Audio, podcasts, uh, also a big thing we've just never been big in, but I think we're going to start being bigger in. And I think I know. Uh, so that's, that's one thing social, you know, there's some big elements there that I think we haven't really tapped into quite yet and have the ability to. So that's big, uh, live events, you know, we'll get back into that swing of things here as we get into the back half of the year awards obviously are big for us rising 25 best employers in sports. So we always say it's a hub and spoke model where the hub is the main brand of front office sports. And that's the content and that has to be extremely strong. And we have to be very, you know, cognizant of what that looks like. And we have to really, really make sure that every single day we're doing as much as we can to drive trust in the brand and make sure we have really high quality stuff. So then we can do everything else with our audience, right? I always tell people, if the hub is strong, you could send them down any other spoke channel you want. And that's why our education business, how we launched in early 2020 is, you know, we've had over 20,000 people enroll in uh, one of the courses that we've had. And we have now partnerships with Ticketmaster, Coinbase, uh, Pepsi, Meta. We're going to do another Meta course this year. So it's, it's been really positive. And again, like that only happens because we have a brand that people trust and a brand that people will action on. Like there's just not, uh, that's how we sell it to partners. I say like, how many brands that you work with, do you think that you could have people spend an average of two hours with a piece of content and then post about that time spent on their LinkedIn saying they now have a certification? I, I really can't think of any outside of some other, you know, maybe more industry specific brands where that actually happens. And so I think that's been really powerful for us. So that's, that's one element that's been really good. And obviously social or the number one sports publisher writ large on LinkedIn. Like there's no sports publisher on the channel, on the platform that gets more engagement than us, which is interesting, but makes a ton of sense because like we are the leader in that space and it fits right into what our content is and how it feels and everything like that. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of various elements that we're finding success in, but with anything, there's multiple platforms in which we're not doing much on because we just don't have the resources right now. Uh, But I think there's a lot of growth opportunity to get to that point. So So as you grow your subscriber base, right? And have you reached that pinnacle number of a million yet? Is that something you're building? Yeah, we're on track for, yeah, roughly right around there. So um, yeah, I would like to hopefully be there by the end of the year, but we'll, we'll see just, you know, given market conditions and everything like that. Right. So as you build that and and grow that, what's your, what are one of your biggest challenges to reach that, you know, as you know, sports is a massive market. So, you know, there's tens of millions of people out there that are potential subscribers for you. And so what, what is it, what's your biggest challenge to to reach those people? Yeah. I mean, obviously driving non-paid subs is a big thing. So, you know, how do we continue to drive organic growth? The courses is a great example of that uh, because we've seen a lot of success with that. So that's a great, uh, that's a great way to go about it. I think, you know, other things is like how, how big really, how do we write for an increasingly bigger audience, right? Like our, what we cover from a topic standpoint differs extremely than what it used to be because our audience is so much bigger and so much broader. And people like you care about things that are very different than other people who are like in, in the industry, in the industry. So that's, that's the biggest thing I would say. Yeah. 
And then, so as you're, as you're building this out and you're heading towards the future and, and, you know, bigger partner, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, your partnerships with Coinbase, Meta, Pepsi, like you say, those are, you know, those are big names and, and uh, it's, it's, it drives more validity to your content and everything. And like what you said, it's got to be really important in that, that hub that you guys are a trusted source. And, and I now look to you guys as a very trusted source because of the way the content flows in to to my feed and to my inbox and so forth so how do you um how do you continue to drive that trust and and build that trust and i know you kind of just touched on yep. it, but uh i think that's going to be your biggest challenge right yeah it's definitely one of them i mean i think the biggest thing is how do we continue to just deliver consistently at an, an exceptional quality day in and day out right like our whole moniker is specifically when we talk to brands is the inbox is the new homepage. I always ask brands when I'm on calls with them, I say, when was the last time you checked ESPN.com? And they're like, I don't remember. And I said, okay, when was the last time you checked your email? And they're like, during this meeting or five minutes ago before this meeting started. And I said, exactly. Right. So our content, specifically the newsletter part of our business reaches our audience where they're making decisions and where they're spending most of their time on a daily basis. Right. Average time spent in your email inbox for people who work in white collar jobs, I think is like something like five to six hours a day. Right. So why try and not meet them where they are there? So, <clears throat> I mean, that's really been why it's been so important for us. And also there's other things that is really important about email is zero party data, right? Like we know a lot of who our audience is, not all of them, but we know a lot of who they are and what they uh, do from an education standpoint, how they think about us. And we just ran a really interesting audience survey and it was something like 77%, I think of our subscribers can name at least three of our sponsors, right? To me, that's an amazing pitch to a sales, to a brand, right? Like our, our, audience knows who is sponsoring us like up to like at least three. That's like real. So um, I think that's, you know, relatively positive. And I think that's where we've seen a lot of things, but yeah, I mean, it's just continuing to evolve the product, continuing to meet the audience where they are with products and with content that makes sense. So meeting the audience in their ears, meeting the audience in their inbox, meeting the audience on their social feeds, meeting their audience on LinkedIn. I mean, Again, our whole internal motto is we don't set the bar, we raise it. And even if we do set the bar, then how do we raise it on ourselves, right? So we're always, or at least try to be, and most oftentimes are, first movers in spaces. No one's doing education like we are. No one's doing the awards that we're doing. Um, no one's doing newsletters like we are. No one's doing you know social content and uh, site content really like we are. And so that's the focus is like, you can't be the same in what would be a crowded market. And our aspirations are more like Wall Street Journal, Politico, Bloomberg of the world, right? I want people when they say front office sports or someone says front office sports, like, oh, I, I saw that. And it's funny, we had a, a kind of a mini validation moment the other day when I was talking to someone out on the West Coast and he was telling me, he's like, ah, oh, I've been following you guys for a long time and I've been meaning to reach out and want to connect and talk. And he said, the reason why I finally did is because I was playing hockey with some guy who works in real estate and I've never talked to him about front office sports or the brand or anything like that. And out of nowhere, he asked me, he's like, have you ever seen, you know, this newsletter or, or something, some sort of piece of content from us? And he said, and, and he said, the guy literally just showed him, I think it was our newsletter. And at that point he was like, 
well, I knew oh, I have to talk to you guys now because you have so much more penetration than you think, uh, or than I thought, you know? So I think that's the biggest thing is that we have to build a product that is accessible and is meaningful and is informative for people from you to Mark Cuban, to the general counsel of Netflix, to you name it, like an investor in private equity, right? So uh, I think those are the biggest things that we have to do and try and balance uh, all the time because it's, it's not just like general business news that applies to everyone. So we have to try and make sure it's as general business news as it can be with obviously that sports, uh, that sports angle that I think makes us unique. So that's the long story uh, for it. But I mean, overall, it's just the media oftentimes more than anything is just a battle of consistency and quality. That's what it really comes down to from a content standpoint. Is it consistent in the sense that 7.30 every morning, I have a newsletter in my inbox and I can read it and I know it's there and it's a habit now. 4.30 at night on the East Coast, it's there and it's a habit. Saturday, Sunday, it's there and it's a habit. And everyone's set. And like our, our whole strategy is really about how do we blanket the ecosystem, right? So you're on, you're in, you're in your inbox, you see us. You're on Twitter, you see us. You're on LinkedIn, you see us. You're on Instagram, you see us. And then by the time you're done, you've seen us four or five, six times a day. And you're like, holy shit, those guys... That's just a massive organization. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, we're, we're decently sized, 40 full-time people, but that is not, it's not like a crazy, you know, thing, but everyone always, always, always thinks we're much bigger than we are because they see us everywhere. We just struck a relationship with the, uh, the company called Captivate. So they do the TVs in, uh, or yeah, the TV screens in elevators. If you've ever been into an office building with like a uh, TV screen in the elevator, it's owned by this company called Captivate. And I've had multiple people who I know who are like, send me, send me a text or an email. I say, I was riding the elevator and I saw you guys on the elevator. And it's like, it's very, very light, very small, but it just is like the reinforcement and the meaningfulness of that. Uh, we just signed a deal with this company called Atmosphere TV, where our content's going to appear in 25,000 venues uh, worldwide, right? Where they're going to pick up our content and uh, curate it against it. We're doing stuff with Market Watch. So again, like it's just really all about how can when people are around the internet or around some sort of digital media are seeing us in as many places as possible. Love it, man. Well, you're doing a good job at it. And to give you a little bit of feedback from me, market feedback, the way you guys write your content, the way it's presented, it's it's something I want to read. And and that is, I know that was important to you because it's clearly yep. intentional. And it it comes in my inbox. I'm excited to check out what the next story is. And it's not always too overwhelming. It doesn't, uh, you know, sometimes some of these, and you've seen, or at least in my mind, I've seen a couple of uh, competitors pop up and and the way that they're formatted, the way that it's kind of laid out, it's just not quite quite there yet, you know, based on the work that you guys do. So I think it's yeah. great. One of the things that uh, I'm sure you're thinking about, but how do you enter, how do you penetrate the SMS market and start to get straight to the mobile phone? Is that a need, a challenge? I mean, we've talked to a bunch of people about this, to be honest with you. And just as a consumer, yeah. like, I hate it when like when I'm getting things that I've are texted to me that aren't messages. Like texting is like a messaging. Like it's just so personal. I get that it works for some things. And yes, I have text notifications for my bills and things like that. So it makes sense. 
I just don't get the value. And I think it hurts the brand more than it helps the brand because it's like, there's there, you can be in as many places and then sometimes you can be in too many places. And I think personally, I don't know if, if it, it may make sense with a, a subscription product or something like that. And we've talked about things like that before, but just as a general, like we're starting to text newsletters to people or stories to people. Could it help? I'm sure open rates, extremely high on text messages. I open all my texts, you know, all these things, but like, it's just a slippery slope to go down because it's, it's just tough. And I don't know if I want people to be like, Oh, these guys are now not only in my inbox, but they're also in my messages. And you know, it's just, you get to the point where it's just too much. And like I said, like personally, I, I don't, want any more messages than I get, which isn't a ton, but like, it's just like, I don't, I don't want like that, that added element. Like just, I want to keep it in my inbox. I want to keep it on platforms that, you know, people don't have as direct access to me. Like, you know, messaging is just so personal and so direct. So. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, it, it, it comes across a little spammy as well. Cause obviously there is spammy kind of content out there as well. Um, so it's, uh, it, it makes it completely different. So, well, look, man, uh, I guess kind of last question is kind of where are you heading and where are you hoping uh, this is going to go? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've hinted and alluded at this and spoke about it really at length, to be honest with you, with, uh, with other places, like I think the gold standard, if possible, and I think we can do it. I believe we can do it. Uh, it's, it's really like Politico sports. I've always said that before. Uh, I think they have an incredible business model where they have a free owned and operated site and then they have an enterprise subscription business on top of that, but no paywall. And I think it just makes their content so much more accessible, their reach, their brand, their their influence so much larger. Because I think that's the one thing too, if unless you're a unless you're a mega publication like the New York times, Washington post, uh, wall street journal, things like that. Like having paywalls, I really feel like impacts your influence yeah. and your reach and who can read you. Right. Like perfect example, we may not be having this conversation. If the first time you went to our site, you got hit with a paywall and you're like, damn, I don't want to pay yet. And I don't really know these guys. So, uh, whatever. It's yeah. cool. I'll follow them on social, but I'll never read any of their stuff. So Economically, uh, is it the best choice? I don't know. Uh, but that's that's the that's the goal. Is how can we do that? I, I don't. Everyone always says like, well, Politico is the only people who've ever done it. And I'm like, yeah, but has anyone else ever tried? I don't know. Uh, because once you once you gain the trust of your audience, then you can build them into different tiers, right? I yeah. Mean, you've gained your trust of a million, a million, you know, fi- you know, followers or subscribers, and then. You can continue to build that and then upsell yeah. them more value. Totally. I mean, look, like at the end of the day, it's just you have to can, can continue to create complete trust. We're I'm seven years into this. Uh, the business is three and a half years into it. We've been navigating a pandemic. We've been navigating whatever is the next thing that the world wants to throw at us. And so... I think overall, like you have to be able to really say, and with everything, it's 10 years, you know, specifically from a media standpoint, like we still have another three years, you know, four years until we really, I mean, we've hit our stride a lot this year, but until we really hit the the next level of our stride, I really do think it's going to be, you know, by the time this time 2024 rolls around or 2025 rolls around. So, I mean, look, hopefully all of this stuff is in place by, 
the time, which it should be world cup and, and the Olympics, you know, the world cup is in 2026. The Olympics are in 2028. I think we should be building the business for that and making sure that by the time that those roll around, we're the undisputed authority in this space. I think, you know, in many instances we already are, but it should be without a shadow of a doubt by then. And so, I mean, look, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort and time and energy. And, you know, uh, it's just, Media is, is a is a very difficult business in the sense that it's not like you produce this technology platform and once you once you code it, like I mean, obviously you don't have to push updates and stuff like that, but once you code it, it's kind of done. And this is like every single day you have to create content and every single day you have to have something in the inbox and every single day you have to have something on social. And there's just no there's no real breaks. Uh so interesting business and i think overall it's 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 not the set it's sexy (laughs) it's sexy in the fact that it's cool to be a part of media and have a media company and run a media company because people want to talk to you they know about it this that and the other uh it's not cool in the sense that it's just a absolute grueling work day which is fine it's it's amazing and it's so much fun and allows you to do a lot of really cool things and the people who i think can execute and operate at the highest levels uh, are some of the best operators in the business because it, you have to, you have to have the stamina and the fitness to be able to do it. But yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting ball game for sure. Adam, I love it, man. Appreciate you coming on the show and uh, look forward to watching your growth, man. Awesome. All right, man. Well, really appreciate you having me and thanks again for the very least being a fan, a subscriber, a reader and supporter. For sure, man. Take care. Thank you.